News Network. Things to trust more than politicians. Cable company internet speeds. Stereo equipment out of a white van. Gas station sushi. Drinking water from Lake Erie. A weather forecast from Al Gore. Things you can trust. Well, let's start with someone immersed in the truth. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And to separate noise from reality, here's Dan Newman. I thought we lived in the most civilized country on the planet. I thought we, the United States of America, had all our stuff together. We were the beacon on the hill to which every other country can look in and draw comfort from the fact that we're always watchful. We've got their backs. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Hump Day. It's Wednesday. And man, do we have a lot of irony to talk about this morning. My gosh, you couldn't have painted. If you were writing a movie script, you couldn't have written a better story to illustrate just how lost is our President of the United States and all of those in his administration and pretty much most of the Democrat Party leadership in Congress. Why am I saying that? Well, yesterday, the most egregious financial news in about 40 years was released right about the time Joe Biden was having a celebration on the lawn at the White House. What was he celebrating? His wonderful, wondrous and so effective inflation reduction law that he signed into law just a couple of weeks ago. And it does anything and everything but reduce inflation. And they were celebrating the signing of the bill. And while, I mean, you cannot stage this kind of irony. While they were actually at the microphones, celebrating what they had just done, their great achievement. The stock market was in the midst of falling at that exact moment, 1,200 points. Why did that happen yesterday? Because of inflation. (laughs) Inflation is rampant. It's growing. There are experts, one of you who you're going to hear from in just a little bit, that says right now today, We are in a recession, and we're headed towards the greatest recession in United States history. And then, of course, there's Uncle Joe. He's just glorying in all of his accomplishments in the world of finance. Oh, my gosh, they've reduced the deficit, masterful financial planning. No, they quit spending money on COVID. They were able to do that. And so the deficit went down in his first year, not because of his financial wisdom or his policies. He just happened to be at the right place at the right time, right? And so he's celebrating with a special guest. Who might that be? James Taylor. And James sang this song at the request of the president. I don't think Biden realized the song is talking about heroin addiction. And suicide. (laughs) Do you remember this one? Here's James. Just yesterday morning, they let me know you were gone. Suzanne, the plans they made put an end to you. 
walked out this morning and I wrote down this song I just can't remember who to send it to I've seen fire and I've seen rain I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end I've seen lonely times when I could not find a friend But I always thought that I'd see you again Won't you look down upon me, Jesus You gotta help me make a stand You just got to see me through another day My body's aching and my time is at hand I won't make it any other way Oh, I've seen fire and I've seen rain I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end I've seen lonely times when I could not find a friend But I always thought that I'd see you again Time, my back turned towards the sun. Lord knows when the cold wind blows, it'll turn your head around. Well, there's hours of time on the telephone line to talk about things to come. Sweet dreams and flying machines in pieces on the ground. Oh, I've seen fire and I've seen rain. Seen sunny days that I thought would never end. I seen lonely times when I could not find a friend. But I always thought that I'd see you, baby, one more time again. Thought I'd see you one more time again. There's just a few things coming my way this time around now. Thought I'd see you, thought I'd see you. So many ironies yesterday on the White House lawn, the least of which was not the fact that James Taylor, he's actually singing a song that he wrote when he was in an insane asylum, was getting treated for severe heroin addiction and suicidal tendencies and Joe Biden's got James Taylor singing that song just as the stock market was down 1200 points no ironies lost on this administration almost every day there's another one that pops up and another one came out yesterday and I just thought I'd throw this in right here we're going to move on in just a second but his wife Dr. Jill in uh, conversations about some of the books that are being found in public school libraries where elementary students are being exposed to with pictures, very graphic pictures, and very uh, adult writing in stories in these books, talking about transsexual, talking about homosexuality, 
talking about all kinds of sexual things. And these are in first and second grade libraries. And all it is is parents are saying, look, I, I, don't, I don't want my child getting immersed in this at school. These are things that we parents want to teach our children and do that at home. And Dr. Jill, now she's a doctor. She is not a medical doctor, but a PhD. And she is a, a lifer school teacher. And she made this statement. All books, all books should be allowed in libraries. All books, and her justification was, we live in the United States of America. We have the freedom of speech. We have this First Amendment thing. And therefore, she thinks it's okay for your children, my children, her grandchildren, at the ages of five, six, and seven, to be immersed into all kinds of sexual information that has been throughout world history given to parents to teach their kids at home. You just can't make this stuff up coming out of this administration. And then yesterday, the inflation numbers that drove the stock market down, Joe Biden hears those, and he still goes forward with this ironic celebration, and he just got busted He's celebrating an inflation reduction bill that it, on its own, is deepening our recession and adding to our inflation. 8.3% up over a year ago. We've never seen this in our lifetimes. And remember this, it's his economists that are publishing these numbers, which means to me and many of you, Probably the real numbers are even worse than we're being told. Uh, I got to be honest with you. When I go to the grocery store, inflation's really, really, really deep at my grocery store. When I go to the gas pump, now he's yesterday he's glorifying. He gets he gets real close to the microphone like this, and he says, "And gas prices are down a dollar thirty-seven." A gallon. What he's not telling you is they're up a buck sixty a gallon since the day he was elected president. They're lost on all of this stuff. They just don't get it. Biden doesn't even want to talk about being in inflation. And our senator from Louisiana, John Kennedy, a wordsmith, Mark Twain of this generation, yesterday he weighed in on the inflation debacle that Joe Biden seems to not even have a clue about. Uh, Senator, about a half an hour from now, there's going to be a grand event on the South Lawn of the White House. President Biden tweeted about it earlier today, saying, quote, exactly four weeks ago, I signed the Inflation Reduction Act into law. So today we're celebrating. Tune in at 3 p.m. Eastern time as I deliver remarks and welcome the leaders and advocates who made it happen to the People's House. When you look at the CPI numbers today, Uh, higher than expected when you look at the increase from last month, when you look at the increase in core inflation from last month. uh, Is there a lot to celebrate in your opinion? Well, the White House, uh, any White House, can always find a a handful of economists to prostitute themselves and say anything the White House tells them to say. 
I will note that uh, two prominent Democratic economists, uh, Mr. Summers, Mr. Furman, uh, have both said that um, uh, inflation uh, is is gutting the American people like a fish. Certainly, the, uh, the the stock market, the capital markets, as you pointed out, John, are not impressed with the Inflation Reduction Act because they're crashing. They meaning the markets. Look, this is what the Inflation Reduction Act did. It 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 took a quarter of a trillion dollars out of the pockets of the American people at a time when the economy is slowing, prices are rising, and 401ks are crashing, and gave that money to the Green New Deal industrial complex, which is going to spend that money in a way that will cause energy prices to rise without reducing world temperatures a smidgen of a degree. And, and it represents a gross misallocation of capital. And we're seeing that reflected in the capital markets, the stock markets today. The press secretary just took a question, a few questions on this. Uh, she was challenged on the, the Dow falling as a result of this really, um, you know, a, a real warning about the American economy and where inflation is going from here. But still, she says we're going to hear from the president a short time ago who said this is reason for celebration. Listen. For uh, some time now, when it comes to his, uh, his number one economic priority is to deal with inflation, is to make sure that we are lowering costs for, Americans pe for, for the American people, for American families, Americans who have to come around the table, uh, you know, once a month in, in particular to figure out how are they going to pay those bills. Again, this is why the event that we're having uh, in less than 45 minutes to, to uh, celebrate and talk, talk about, you're here from the president about the Inflation Reduction Act, is so critical. That is is why Democrats and this president uh, took took the you know did the hard work to get that done is to lower costs on health care to lower costs on prescription drugs uh, and uh, and also energy costs as well to be clear we've had the White House on this program uh, senator right. and asked them what exactly will this do to the inflation everybody's experiencing and by their own estimates talking to economists they're still only touting that it'll bring down inflation a small fraction of a percentage point i mean so we're not really talking about bringing prices down big time and the, the president to her point is prioritizing inflation and this is where we are today someone should tell them it's not working well i know the president is going to speak in a little bit but frankly every time the president speaks. He shows us how much he doesn't know. Uh, I, I don't dislike the president. Is he a perfect person? No. Uh, does he try to get better every day? Also no. And therein lies the problem. The inflation that we have today was made in Washington. It was made by the Biden administration. And the things that they have been doing are going to make it worse. The Inflation Reduction Act spent raises taxes once again with prices rising and, and an economy slowing. Uh, his, his, he didn't forgive student debt. He just transferred that student debt from people who owe it uh, to people who don't owe it. It's a massive expenditure, uh, reduction of income. And all of this, if you talk to economists other than uh, those that just prostitute themselves to a Democratic president, they will tell you that uh, the president does not have a plan 
to uh, solve the infl inflation problem that he himself created. And the, and the Inflation Reduction Bill, I know why they called it that, but um, un unless, you, uh, unless you still live with your parents, you know that the Inflation Reduction Act is a throat punch to the American people at a time when they can least afford to take the blow. It's our understanding, Senator, that the uh, president is going to have some not-so-kind words for you and your Republican colleagues for not supporting right. this act. Apparently, he's also going to sing you, uh, single uh, not you particularly, but Republicans mm -hmm. out for opposing the hiring of 87,000 IRS agents, which are critical to this plan. What do you say? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I say that the Internal Revenue Service is uh, not exactly a model of efficiency. I can't think of a an agency in Washington that's more dysfunctional. Uh, they're going to spend that money to, to hire 87,000 people, not to improve uh, service to the American people, but to, to target them. And to give you an idea of how many people they add, they're adding after President Biden gets through with growing IRS, the IRS will have more soldiers or agents than the Israeli army. And some say the entire army in Great Britain. Uh, and I don't think they're there to try to make our lives better. They're going to try to uh, raise taxes indirectly on the American people, the middle class, by uh, auditing them. And when the people can't afford to defend themselves, hiring a lawyer, they're just going to collect all this extra money and give it to the Green New Deal. We shouldn't be surprised at any of this. I mean, we were warned. We were told by Joe Biden himself when he was campaigning the few times that he came out and spoke to the American public during his campaign, he warned us, he told us, I'm going to do this. I'm going to spend all this money. I'm going to stop all of these things that Trump put in place that were working for you. Why am I going to stop them? Because we're doing and will do better without those things. We couldn't believe that he would say those things, let alone do those things. And of course, beginning day one as president, he fulfilled his promise. And you and I and the rest of our American compadres are paying the price. And Joe doesn't even have a clue, number one, that his policies are doing it. Now, let me just say this. There are people that will say he knows exactly what he is doing and he knows what the effects are. That might be true, but I got to be honest with you. I prefer to give the guy a break. He doesn't deserve it necessarily, but I think nobody can be that stupid that would believe doing the things that he has done, like at the southern border. Well, wait a minute. He hadn't done anything down there. He's not enforcing any laws down there. He's not holding anybody accountable. We've got a story in a minute that will tell you what the Mexican government is doing to their drug smugglers and then compare that with what Joe Biden is not doing to our drug smugglers. And you just, you do the SMH thing. Shake my head in disbelief. I can't believe we have a president in the White House that is this feckless and he doesn't have a clue that he really is. Maybe, I just had this thought, maybe that's the reason why he was chosen to represent the Democrat Party. 
They knew that he was feckless, and they knew that he wouldn't be creative as president if he got elected and that he would rely on them to tell him what to do. And so let's give Joe credit for that. He's not making these decisions. Somebody else is, and he's just being the mouthpiece and telling us, hey, 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 look what we're going to do today. We're going to get in your pockets a little worse. And they keep in these White House press briefings doubling and tripling down on things that make absolutely no sense. Oh, there are more people working. And, you know, the unemployment rate is really, really low. They never talk about the employment uh, percentage of people working in the marketplace compared to before COVID days during the Trump administration. Yeah, the unemployment rate is down. More people aren't working, but they're not filing unemployment claims. Duh. Anybody can look at the numbers and you would think his labor department would have those statistics and that around the table in the White House with his cabinet, they would talk about these things and come up with solutions to these problems. He would listen to experts that advise him. I don't think he has a single expert that advises him because he is looking for nothing more than yes men and yes women. Now about that about that inflation thing, what we thought we would do is you heard from Senator Kennedy and you heard from some Fox News folks that were weighing in with their opinions about inflation. Senator Kennedy is not a lawyer. He's not an economist. He was the treasurer of the state of Louisiana for a number of years, so he's a numbers guy. He gets it, but still he's not what you would call a financial expert. But these guys are. Mike Lee with me this morning to watch the market for us. Inflation hotter than expected, 8.3%. Does that change your stock market outlook for the rest of the year? Uh, Stuart, not so much. Um, It's more next year where it it changes it. This 0.6% month over month at this point in the cycle is shocking. It's terrifying. It means this inflation is a lot stickier than we expected. And if you look at the contributors to this, particularly rent increases, um, how do you fix that? At the beginning, it was used cars and hotels. Okay, that seems to have subsided, but how do you come up with more rental units? How do you stop this, this tide of rents increasing? And it's, it's the people at the bottom that are getting squeezed with higher gas prices, higher food prices, and rent. So I think we're entering a recession unseen like any other, where the bottom half are going to get devastated, and those in the upper quarter to upper 10% uh, will spend less, not do as well, but pretty much weather the storm. So this gap between the rich and the poor is going to get wider and wider. It's going to get worse and worse. These are the experts that are saying it. These are not political people. These are honest-to-goodness economists that have a history of watching the numbers, watching the trends financially, and they're usually pretty right on. And you just heard the gloom and doom there. Hey, it's not going to get better anytime soon. Uh, It's not a jumping off place. We're not there yet, but we could get there. We could get there. We could find ourselves in the worst conditions financially that we've ever seen. Now, that's a very dire prediction of a possibility, don't you think? 
So where's Joe Biden in all this thinking? How can this guy do that? Two economic numbers that are meant to capture underlying pricing pressures rose sharply in August. I saw that. I get that. I understand this. That indicates the economy is still experiencing a very high inflation rate. Now, this is from a Federal Reserve Bank, not the Federal Reserve, but a Federal Reserve Bank in Cleveland. They calculate both median inflation and 16% trimmed mean inflation. Now, what is that about? Well, those measures exclude outlier moves in prices that counted in the Consumer Price Index to show the underlying inflationary pressures to get right down to the meat on the bone. Both of them showed that inflation accelerated in August. Now let me break it down a little bit. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to do this slowly because I'm not demeaning you in any way. I had to when I read this, had to come back and read it a couple of times. The median consumer price index, that's the number that shows only the measures in the center of the consumer price index's price changes, that that median price index rose 0.7% compared with the prior month, July. That's an acceleration from the 0.5% increase recorded in June. So the unrounded figure, in other words, the real number, And it's got a lot of digits, 0.73789% is the highest ever on record, slightly above the previous record of 0.73078% that was set in June. This is equivalent to an annual rate of inflation. Now listen to this. This is the same thing on an annualized basis as being 9%. 0.2% inflation. That is the highest number on record. Now let's break this down. What does this mean at your house? I can tell you what it means. Yesterday, Corinne Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, she was just oozing positiveness about this administration's financial policies and look what we have done. Wages are up. Oh my gosh. Americans are making more money than they ever made before, but they fail to or they just refuse to factor in what we're having to spend to get the same things that we eat now that we ate before a Biden presidency and houses with expenses now that we had to then, you follow my line of reasoning, when you factor those things in, which those those are where the rubber meets the road. I mean, you don't live in a vacuum. I don't live in a vacuum. I have to buy groceries. I have to buy gasoline. I have to pay taxes. Everything costs more. How much more? way more than the wage increases across the board that they're bragging about. So what does that mean? Let me give you an example of what it means. A mom, a husband, and two kids on the street in Cleveland, Ohio, 
both the mom and both the dad, both of them, have full-time jobs. Their jobs couldn't give them raises after COVID. A lot of places were able to give employees raises after COVID, but this these two particular employers could not do it. They're both working. They're working as hard as they possibly can, as long hours as they possibly can, and it's not enough to pay the cost of rent. And they couldn't find a cheaper place to live. So what are they doing? They're living on the streets in Cleveland, Ohio, both of them going to work every day, kids going to school. And when they come home, they come home to a tent in an alley in downtown Cleveland. That, my friends, is Bidenflation. Ham is up 2.5% from just July, 9.2% higher than a year ago. Hot dogs up 5% from July, 18% from a year ago. Eggs up 3% from July, 40% from a year ago. Bread up 2.2% from July, 16% from a year ago. Donuts up 2% from July, 14% from a year ago. Pickles up 4% in one month, 19% in a year. Margarine up 7% from July, 40% from a year ago. Sugar up 2% from July, 16%. And it goes on and on and on. Maybe Joe Biden lives in a vacuum. Maybe he does. But we don't. I'm sorry, we don't. Now let me give you another one. Let me just throw one into the mix. Nobody's talking about this, but there is something that is impending that could possibly this week turn the rest of your economic world upside down. Listen to this. Joe Biden's administration has made just yesterday contingency plans aiming to ensure deliveries of critical goods in the event of a shutdown of the U.S. rail system. This has been going on. Unions have been in negotiations. They're talking about the entire rail system being shut down. The potential shutdown could come as early as day after tomorrow. It could freeze about 30% of U.S. cargo shipments further stoke inflation, impede supplies of food and fuel, cost the U.S. economy about $2 billion a day. Hadn't heard about it, have you? No, they don't want to talk about it. And the likelihood of it happening by Friday is 50-50. They just got in the mix yesterday. Somebody made a frantic phone call and probably got through to the Oval Office. Finally, they get the president on the phone and they're talking to the president, telling him about this. And Biden says, you don't have to worry about that. My people are all over it. 
well, Mr. President, we haven't heard from your people. What do you mean you haven't heard from my people? We've reached out to them and they haven't responded. Well, when is all this going to come down? Mr. President, as early as Friday of this week. Oh my gosh. Well, I'll get on the phone. I'm Joe Biden. I can call these unions. I can call Union Pacific, Berkshire Hathaway, and Norfolk South. All these big companies, they gave to my campaign. They like me. They'll take my call and they'll listen to me. We'll stop this. These unions don't give a rip about Joe Biden. All they want from Joe Biden is when they want something, that he takes the phone call and they have leverage. It's called campaign dollars. Do you think they're going to return his call? They don't want to hear from him. They want more money for their workers that they represent. And they've got way, 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 way more leverage than does Joe Biden. And in the middle of all of this, Joe had to leave town yesterday. Oh my gosh, it was election primary day back home in Delaware. Wait a minute, he was in Delaware this past weekend uh, and the weekend before and the weekend before that, and they have absentee voting. I wonder why he didn't absentee vote when he was there. Well, he just couldn't. I mean, he's the president of the United States. He's the most important human breathing on the planet. If you don't think so, just ask him. He'll confirm it. And in that position, he's got to be able to do anything and everything he wants exactly when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it. So what did he do yesterday? Well, he spent about a quarter of a million of taxpayer dollars. He jumped on Marine One. He jumped on Marine One and flew to Delaware. And of course, when he lands anywhere, what happens? There's a fleet of cars, limos, suburbans, all those things that Secret Service and his staff get in, estimated between two hundred dollars and $250,000 for Joe to go vote yesterday. And he didn't even have to go anywhere to vote. He could have voted absentee and save the American public about a quarter of a million dollars. Meanwhile, that young couple's on the street, living in a tent with their two children, working a full-time job, both of them, and their kids in public school, and they can't pay their rent. And it's only going to get worse. Welcome to the Biden administration. Joe's got everything going on the right way. If you don't think so, just ask him. He'll tell you for sure. I'm Joe Biden. I'm Chad Hall, and I'm here with the first ever Silverado ZR2. This is probably the first time you've seen this truck, but I've been racing a prototype version for over a year. We just inspired this pre-production truck you see behind me. Let's go see what it'll do. Copy. It's got phenomenal power, acceleration, good ground clearance, skid protection, and you've got the Multimatic GSSV shocks, so it's just going to be that much more of a fun truck. You want to go a little faster? Go for it. Copy. 
an amazing truck. You're gonna to wanna to get your hands on one. Nervous? Oh, Blaze. Brings back so many good memories. Remember our road trip in 97? Our first real heart to heart. I've never seen any of your movies! Not even the ones we're in together! Hey, do you remember when that stalker kidnapped us? Yes! Blaze was there. Blaze. Do you have barbecue? Or a cheddar jalapeno? Oh. Oh. Remember when we stumbled into that turf war? Ah! Remember when you bought your first house? Ah! Hey, I'm Those were good times. They were golden. You ready? Seth, do you? I do. And Janet, do you? That's a yes. Left versus right, Republican versus Democrat, conservative versus liberal. Which side do you take? The side of the truth on TNN. Truthnewsnet.org, the Truth News Network. Well, let me just drop another truth bomb on you today. I have received probably a dozen different emails with a story that it just shocked me. It's going to shock you. It's a paper that was published by, jointly, Harvard and Johns Hopkins Medical Center. In the paper, it says this. Listen closely, and I don't want to miss anything, so I'm going to read you verbatim what the paper says. Using Centers of Disease Control and sponsor-reported adverse event data. Now, this is about COVID-19 vaccines and vaccine boosters. We find that booster mandates may cause a net expected harm per COVID-19 hospitalization prevented in previously uninfected young adults. Now let me break that down for you in layman tone, uh, terms. They say this, explaining that first sentence, we anticipate 18 to 98 serious adverse events, including 1.7 to 3.0 booster-associated myocarditis cases in males and 1,373 to 3,234 cases of grade greater than 3 reactogenicity, which interferes with daily activities. Given the high prevalence of post-infection immunity, this risk-benefit profile is even less favorable. Now, they do bring this all down. They summarize it by saying this. COVID-19 vaccines, based upon the reported adverse reactions among young people, Johns Hopkins and Harvard found that COVID-19 vaccines are 98 times worse than the virus. Now put that in your peace pipe and smoke it. 98 times. These are not two uh, very conservative institutions. I think you'll all agree. Harvard 
Oh my gosh, they're in the tank far left. Johns Hopkins, I used to think they were right down the center, but they're even left in their political leanings. And they found COVID-19 vaccines are 98 times worse than the flu. You just can't make this stuff up. And it didn't just come out of the woods, folks. This information has been out there for some time. It's been available to scientists everywhere. Even the CDC, that's where the numbers came from. Don't you think Dr. Fauci should have been up in uh, the White House briefing room? I mean, making somebody get me in there, put me on camera. I need to let the American people know this. We missed it. You're 98 times more likely to lose it if you're vaccinated 98 times worse if you're vaccinated than if you're not. Those are the numbers, folks. Fauci himself said, follow the science. That's what the science says. Johns Hopkins and Harvard Medical School. Meanwhile, what are we all caught up in? Oh my gosh, we're... I think everybody's now really in tune with the fact that we have some real bad inflation problems, economic issues that we got to get figured out. Now, we're in election season, and everybody's pontificating about this and about that. We've got, in just a little bit, we'll bring you a story by a senatorial campaign. Um, This is coming out of Ohio, and what one man who's in the U.S. House of Representatives now, Tim Ryan, he's running for a Senate seat, what he has to say about pulling the nation together. You certainly can't look at the media to do that. MSNBC, CNN, have you heard them talking about what's going on in the power grid stuff out in California? Oh my gosh, it's like, well, it's going to be 102 degrees today and Uh, The stock market is rebounding. Everything's going to be cool. And oh, by the way, the power grid issues going on out in California, y'all just need to listen to your governor and do what your governor says. Compare that to what they all said this past winter. You remember that when we had that horrible, horrible Arctic storm that came through the South and it froze us all to death and Texas was really under the gun? Their power grid wasn't able to keep up with the usage. All of these left-leaning media outlets, they decided to take a little more objective approach to covering the electrical grid issues in California after they just ripped Texas following last year's winter storm that caused blackouts across Texas, the Lone Star State, back in February of 2021 following a winter storm that caused widespread power outages for 4 million Texas, and almost 100 died, folks. Democrats began to call for investigations into state Republicans' handling of the crisis. This reaffirmed our support for radical environmental policies. Governor Abbott thought Texas could run an electrical grid that ignored the climate crisis. That was shifty. Chuck Schumer, he tweeted at the time, it was not resilient. 
Schumer went on to call for a federal investigation to look into how the Republican governor's policies failed and exacerbated the winter storm crisis. As with COVID, a natural disaster has become far deadlier due to the inaction and ineptitude of Abbott and Texas's Republican leadership. Democratic gubernatorial candidate Beto O'Rourke tweeted that out. This didn't have to happen and doesn't have to continue. Make me your leader, Beto. I'll make sure it doesn't happen again. Almost immediately, figures on CNN and MSNBC, they got right after. They were following their Democrat allies and criticizing state leaders for the deadly outages. And the situation was amplified after Greg Abbott appeared to blame renewable energy alternatives for Texas's situation, claiming that the electrical grid failure showed how the Green New Deal would be a deadly deal for the United States. The media went nuts. They cried foul, criticizing Abbott's rhetoric, as well as, again, the Texas GOP for their handling of energy policy in the Lone Star State. And it got worse when Ted Cruz was caught leaving the state for Cancun during the disaster. The media pushed back on the idea that wind turbines or other forms of renewable energy played a role in the disaster, and instead, they used all this to double down on aspects of Democrats' progressive energy policy. What they forgot to tell you was Texas, in its energy production and the way it's rolled out across various forms and sources, has the highest percentage of wind wind manufactured energy than does any other state, including California. But there's a problem. What happens when wind turbines get cold? They freeze. And when they freeze, those big turbines can't spin. And when they can't spin, they can't generate electricity. So with the graphic that was plastered across the screen that read, no, it wasn't the windmills, MSNBC's all-in host Chris Hayes, he stated that the grid failure in Texas was the result of a complex confluence of factors. He claimed that these factors included the extreme weather in an era of climate change, a woefully underdeveloped energy infrastructure, as well as Texas's aggressive deregulation of an independent energy market. MSNBC's Deadline White House host Nicole Wallace gave a similar critique of Texas, claiming the outrages were a result of a larger Republican effort to dismantle the state and thus energy. She further claimed Republicans were engaging in disinformation by critiquing renewable energy. This is the reality of the toxic sort of stew of today's GOP, she said. And then there was Joe, Joe Scarborough. He laughed as he claimed that the reason wind turbines didn't work during the winter storm was because they bought the wrong ones. <laughs> or on at least two separate occasions, CNN tried to push back against 
Republicans' claims about the electrical grid. In one story, CNN's Pamela Brown ripped into Abbott for his critique of those progressive energy policies, stating that placing blame on things like the Green New Deal was just like blaming your neighbor's unplugged space heater after a fire destroys the whole apartment complex. And then there was CNN's Brianna Keeler. She went on a long rant. She slammed Abbott, placed the blame on Texas for choosing to operate its own power grid, refusing the help of the federal system, which every other state relies on. Texas makes like Fleetwood Mac and goes its own way. She smirked. Song title, catchy there. You know, she knew everybody that was cool would catch that. At one point, CNN host also cited New York Democrat AOC as an authority on power issues down in Texas, displaying a tweet arguing the infrastructure failures in the state were quite literally what happens when you don't pursue a Green New Deal. But what's going on right now? Well, California, they're about to go busted energy-wise. They're begging people, don't plug in your appliances. Turn your TVs off. If you can do without air conditioning, do without air conditioning. And oh my gosh, don't dare think about plugging up that electric car. You're going to destroy our electric, our power grid. No criticisms of lawmakers there or any particular grid operators after California narrowly avoided blackouts this last week as their leaders urged residents to conservatively use their home and vehicle electricity. According to a review of Grabian transcripts, they keep all the transcripts of the primetime talk shows. Well, according to their scripts, talk shows on MSNBC and CNN entirely avoided the situation out in California. Morning and daytime news programs pushing the occasional update off to reporters that were out on the ground. CNN's Aaron Burnett briefly mentioned California's grid strain, noting that 58 million Americans have been warned to prepare for rolling power outages. And then CNN, Stephanie Elam, said that part of the reason for the outages in California was that it just so extremely hot. <laughs> kind of like down in Texas, their wind turbines froze. Nobody mentioned that on CNN. Elam did not explain any other causes for the grid strain, instead noting it's a problem stretching across the entire length of the U.S. West Coast. She also advised Americans to ease up on the thermostat, from 4 to 9 p.m. Over on NBC, NBC correspondent T. Spatterson, he claimed the explosive fires and the incredible heat were putting immense pressure on California's power grid. It's the primary worry today. If they don't reduce that energy usage, we could see rolling blackouts, which would be truly disastrous. And both CNN and MSNBC repeatedly focused on the heat as the reason behind potential outages. Interesting, isn't it? And they, I'm talking about everybody on the left, they think Americans don't notice this. 
they think just because it's them, I mean, we're CNN, we're MSNBC, we're where people go to get real news, not to those evil GOP-run outlets, you know, the ones that they don't believe in progressive ideologies like we do. Meantime, they're ignoring facts. I know that shocks you. I just thought that I would pass that little tidbit of news on to you. Well, I guess you probably have heard about this um, whistleblower from Twitter and the blockbusters, the bombs that have been being dropped in these congressional hearings. The former head of security at Twitter was told earlier this year by the U.S. government there was at least one agent of China's top intelligence agency, which is the Ministry of State Security called MSS, that was working as an employee at Twitter. This was one of the revelations made by Peter Mudge Zatko, that whistleblower. He served as Twitter's head of security for about a year and two months before getting fired earlier this year. And he was speaking during testimony before a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing yesterday. Ranking member Chuck Grassley of, o- of Iowa asked Zatko, in your disclosure, you mentioned that the FBI notified Twitter that one of their employees was suspected of being a Chinese foreign asset. Were you and others at Twitter at all surprised? Zatko replied that he was notified of this information about a week before he was fired. The corporate security physical security team had been contacted and told there was at least one agent of the MSS on the payroll. His testimony expanded upon just a treasure trove of allegations of widespread security failings that could harm users of the platform, also Twitter shareholders. U.S. national security set out in a complaint to federal regulators last month. Twitter has labeled Zatko's claims a false narrative. That shouldn't surprise anybody. There's more and more that's going to keep coming out about that, I can promise you. As we go to our second break, let me tell you what's on the other side. The United Nations is getting into the weather business. The UN, you know, that big building on the south end of Manhattan in New York. The United Nations, a bureaucratic entity, and that's all it is, a political bureaucratic world globalist entity, and they're getting into the global weather business. After all, they're the United Nations, and therefore, they know more about anything, especially weather events, and especially when it it might impact the Green New Deal and climate change. (laughs) That's all right after the camel. Uh Uh-oh, guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? Huh? Anybody? Julie, hey, guess what day it is? Oh, come on, I know you can hear me. Mike, 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 what day is it, Mike? <laughs> Leslie, guess what today is? It's hump day. Woo-woo! Ronnie, how happy are folks who save hundreds of dollars switching to Geico? I'd say happier than a camel on Wednesday. Hump day! Get happy. Yeah! Get Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. 
Holidays abroad. Can we? Can't we? But then we thought, should we? Staycation! We could share a yurt. Please, no. Luckily, we've picked British Airways holidays. Small deposit and can change if we need to. Decision made. Moonlight skinny dipping. <laughs> we've booked St. Lucia. Two weeks. Did you? Why didn't we? Ah, clever you. British Airways holidays. At all protected. Introducing the all-new Infiniti QX60. Take on life in style. Let me ask you for a big favor. Um, all of you... I want to thank you for you listening in, reading our stories. You've been faithful, and that is very, very appreciated, and we don't take you for granted here. Spread the word about TNN Live. Let me tell you the easiest way to do it. As you know, this show, right after it's over, it's downloaded on, I guess, pretty much every place you go to get your podcast. Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcast, uh, and it goes on and on and on, now even on Amazon. Download the shows and share them with your friends. People, many people don't even know that we do a show. They know that we have uh, the website and we publish articles every day and we have tens of thousands of readers and we're thankful for that. And we mention TNN Live during our, um, some of our stories that we write here in promos and there's information on the homepage that shows people where to go to listen to TNN Live but people are so busy they just don't get it so download and send send a link to your friends and say hey, hey look have you, have you listened to TNN Live why don't you check it out I appreciate that that's just a thought I just thought about it during the break and said you need to you need to pass that along I, I, again, I know you like it because you're here. Now, what about the UN? Well, the world is grappling. I don't need to tell you this. It's the worst energy crisis in generations. But listen to what the United Nations has done. They warned Europe that any return that Europe might make to fossil fuels in response to soaring prices and upcoming winter shortages must not be considered under any circumstances. Now, this is the UN. They have no governing authority. They have no authority in any country about anything. They don't. But I get it. They're all Green New Deal people. They're all climate change people. And they hate fossil fuels. 
Russia has reduced supplies of gas to Europe since it went into Ukraine, and that is sending fuel prices soaring. Supply issues in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic have also hit energy deliveries. And despite all this, there is no room for backtracking in the face of the ongoing climate crisis. That's from Deputy UN Rights Chief Nada al-Nashif, and he told the United Nations Human Rights Council that yesterday. She claimed the devastating floods affecting more than 33 million in Pakistan are an example of what's going to happen to the world's climate if there is a mass return to fossil fuels instead of seeking alternatives. No science there. It's just a scare tactic. How many more tragedies like this do we need before the urgency of the moment jolts us into this climate change action? She was speaking at the opening of the Council's 51st session in Geneva, and she acknowledged soaring energy prices in Europe threaten to impact the most vulnerable as winter approaches. She pointed out some EU member states are turning to investments in fossil fuels, infrastructure, and supplies, and she declared they got to stop. While that impulse is understandable, I urge the European Union and its member states to consider the long-term consequences of locking in more fossil fuel infrastructure. It's essential to accelerate the development of energy efficiency projects and renewables. So in other words, let your people freeze to death. Do without heat of any kind. Do without energy, you know, gasoline to put in their cars and diesel fuel to fire their uh, furnaces. And oh, by the way, what about trains moving around the nations and all kinds of energy sources? You've got the wind, you've got solar energy, and oh my gosh, you've got electric cars. And every day now, every single day, more science comes out that tells us renewables will not replace fossil fuel. It is physically impossible to do it, and even politically impossible. Did you know this? There are specific precious minerals that are used in the production of batteries that are the necessity for any kind of electric vehicles or any other electric entities, things that are being used in everyday lives. Batteries are essential. And of course, here we are. We're watching as Russia is holding Europe hostage with gas that we used to provide to them. Do you realize that every month four massive oil petroleum product ships, massive tankers, went from the southern ports of the United States to ports in northern Europe with liquid natural gas, LNG, which is the cleanest source of hydrocarbon fossil fuel there is. And it's less expensive. It's clean, cleaner than gasoline, than diesel, cleaner than coal. 
and they were using it, and I mean we were sending it, shipping it, and then Biden gets elected, and he just arbitrarily, solely, decided to shut down the fossil fuel industry, and so guess what stopped happening? These four super tankers, they quit making that trip every month. And so Northern Europe, they're stuck being totally reliant on the Nord Stream gas pipeline from Russia to Northern Europe. And it sounds like every two or three or four or five days, Russia decides to shut down the pipeline. And they say it's for maintenance. They say it's for this. They say it's for that. But what it is, it's for ransom. They're holding European nations hostage. And the United Nations doesn't have a replacement cure. They don't care about people that are going to freeze to death in Northern Europe because they can't get what they need to heat their homes. They can't afford it even if they could get it. It just kills me that all of these bureaucrats, they each think they know more about fossil fuels, the environment, than real scientists know. And I don't care, folks. You can, t- you can put 300 scientists in a room that say climate change is an existential threat and that we can manipulate chi- uh, climate change, and you can put 300 scientists in a room across the hall that say, no, you can't. That's false. The science is not, in this case, absolute. So, Knowing that, our leaders in the world and in our nation, our nation, are going to push us towards a precipice and they have no idea what's at the bottom of it when they push us over. They think they do, but if you're a leader, you don't make life-changing decisions for the people you lead based upon a supposition. You make them when you have factual information. Now, here we are in the United States, California, 13 other states, I believe it is now. They're going to ban gas-powered cars. And they don't even know what's going to happen. Let me let me give you an example. I've, I've, I talked about, I mentioned the, the precious minerals that go in, the necessity into these batteries. We don't have these precious minerals in the United States. We have to get them. And the two big hotspots on the earth to get them, China controls most of it. Now think about that for a second. Precious metals, precious minerals that are used in battery production are produced in Afghanistan, in parts of Africa, and in South America. Let's talk about South America for a second. In Chile, Salar de Atacama, that's a province, locals watch helplessly as their ancestral lands wither and die because their precious water resources are evaporating in briny ponds, salty kind of waste ponds. In the Democratic Republic of Congo, hope for a better life dissolves as well-funded Ugandan-led extremist groups force children as young as six to work in cobalt mines. And then closer to home, right here in Nevada, Fort McDermott tribe and local ranchers 
fight to protect a sacred burial site and agricultural lands that are set to be sacrificed by Lithium Nevada, a mining company. And this is fixing to start in the next few weeks. Meanwhile, California, other states, politicians like Governor Gavin Newsom pat themselves on the backs for their aggressive environmental stance and boast that their gas-powered vehicle bans are leading the revolution towards our zero-emission transportation future. So if you listen to people like Newsom and President Biden, electric vehicles are zero-emission because they use lithium-ion batteries consisting of these minerals, lithium, cobalt, graphite, and other materials instead of gas. So starting in 2035, California, they're banning gas-powered vehicle sales. Several other states plan to follow suit, citing that as a goal and critical milestone in our climate fight. Additionally, according to a statement from our president, banning gas-powered vehicles will save consumer money, cut pollution, boost public health, advance environmental justice, tackle the climate crisis. All of those things he said, save consumer money, lies. Cut pollution, lies. Boost public health, lies. Advance environmental justice, what the heck is environmental justice? And tackle the climate crisis, where's the climate crisis? (laughs) It's Joe Biden speak. Nothing has to make sense or be true, right? John Hatter, who is a director of the Great Basin Resource Watch, disagrees with Biden, pointing out that industrial nations might benefit from the transition to EVs, but any benefit comes at the expense of others. This expansion of lithium mining will have immediate consequences for frontline communities that are taking a hit. For example, Copiapo, the capital of Chile's Atacama region, is the location of one of the world's largest known lithium reserves. We used to have a river before that now doesn't even exist. There isn't a drop of water. This is from Elena Rivera Cardosa, president of the indigenous Kala community of the Copiapo commune. She added that all of Chile's water is disappearing because of the local lithium mine. In all of Chile, there are rivers and lakes that have disappeared, all because a company has a lot more right to water than we do as human beings or citizens of Chile. And in collaboration of her story, the Institute for Energy Research reports 65% of the area's limited water resources are consumed by mines in mining activities. That's displacing indigenous communities who have called Atacama home for more than 6,000 years because farmers and ranchers have cracked dry soil, no choice but to abandon their ancestral settlements. And this comes from the UN Conference on Trade and Development. Northern Nevada. Saying goodbye to an ancestral homeland as a local lithium mine destroys it is something communities in northern Nevada are fighting right now to avoid. The agricultural communities on either side of the pass are going to be changed forever. 
The Thacker Pass mine could affect their ability to farm and ranch in the area. The air quality will decrease and increased water scarcity is likely. Hatter pointed out that the Quinn production well in Arvados Area Hydrographic Basin, which supplies water to Thacker Pass, is already heavily overallocated. But lacking water is not the only concern. The National Congress of American Indians are deeply concerned that the mine will threaten the community with man camps and large labor forces. The introduction of man camps near reservations have been shown to correlate strongly with an increase in sexual assaults, domestic violence, and even sex trafficking. And all this, all these concerns, people would say, oh, that's just talk. They're just trying to protect what they want to protect, and they'll say anything to do it. It's got some merit. In 2014, the United Nations found that extractive industries, a.k.a. mines, led to increased instances of sexual harassments, violence, rape, and assault due to man camps or workers at these mines. So what does this boil down to, Dan? It boils down to this. These people, these climate change fanatics, they have just jumped on this like dogs jump on a bone. It's kind of new. You know, it just got thrown in there. We haven't had this for very long, but this gives us something that we can use. We can expand. Forget about its reality. Forget about its truth. It's something that we can use in so many wonderful ways. Does it matter that it's not factual? Does it matter that there's no proof that it is a real deal? I'm talking about climate change or that it's not a real deal. No, in fact, what that does, it gives us an advantage because not only can we weaponize it against our political foes, we can use it to raise money, to take money, blackmail governments, blackmail people, and get them to give us all kinds of tax dollars that we can use, even if we don't know that what we're telling them we're going to use it for is actually going to be a realistic effort. But if that goes bad, hey, guess what? We still got fossil fuel we can fall back on. (laughs) That's the climate change phenom that is taking over our government and taking over people. People are buying into, you want to talk about the big lie? There's the big lie. And I'll say to anybody, if you're listening out there, you want to take me on on this show, please call me 1-866-37-TRUTH. 1-866-378-7884. Don't call and give me your opinion. Call and give me science, something that we, the people, can sink our teeth into and get some facts so that we can do what? We can actually make some good, honest choices based on facts, not based upon political thuggery, hacking, and pontification about ideologies just because you may like them or you may not like them. You know what I mean? I'd love to 
And, and I won't be antagonistic. I'm just, I'm just one of those people. I'm going to fold my arms across my chest and look at you figuratively through the phone line and say, convince me, give me facts. Wouldn't it be wonderful that somebody would do that and hold people to it? If somebody would look at Joe Biden and say, you're out here just confiscating trillions of tax dollars from the American people. None of it we have today. You're taking it from our kids and grandkids future and you're doing it in the name of climate change. Mr. President, give me the facts that proves what you're saying is so that climate change is a harsh reality that we've got to face. And if we don't do away with fossil fuel, we're going to destroy our world. Give me some facts. No doubt you've heard about this subliminal seduction nonsense. You know, commercials that are supposed to have hidden messages in them. Well, Baron Saloon denies any use of this so-called mind control. After all, Barron's is seductive enough as it is. Get in your car and come right now. What with a 16-page dinner menu crammed with delectable items... You're starting to salivate. 30 dinner items under $5... Keep out, say big bucks. And a happy hour that lasts from 4 till 8 p.m. Obviously, Barron's has that rare combination of good food. Take out your wallet. Good fun. Give us your money. And good prices. Give us your cash. So let's put this subliminal seduction nonsense to rest. Nobody can do your thinking for you. Come to Barron's. You either want to come to Barron's. You do, you do. Or you don't. But boy, oh boy, you do, you do. Barron's. Airport and South Academy. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate, so you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's dark chocolate to the rescue. My heroes! M&M's dark chocolate candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. Hey, Thirst. Can I try out a few Coke summer sound effects on you? Yes. Cool. You okay with this? Yes. And this? Yes. And what about this? Gotcha there, Thirst. That wasn't sound effects. That was a Coke. I'm no longer thirsty. You're so out of here. Coca-Cola. Open happiness. You're fighting back the tsunami of ignorance with Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. Plenty of that to go around, no doubt about it. And the only thing we can do is push back every chance that we get. And look, we don't have to get in people's faces. Just give them facts. Let them digest them if they want to. If they don't want to, it doesn't matter what you do. Screaming and hollering and getting angry is not going to make them do anything. They don't want to learn the facts. I guess do what Jesus told his disciples to do when they went to villages and the people there rejected them. He told the disciples, just shake the dust of that village off your feet, turn around and leave and don't ever come back. 
Of course, we're not talking about discipleship, and we're certainly not talking about Jesus in this, but there's not much you can do to change people's minds if they're not going to be open to at least listen to facts. Which brings up something. As you know, Steve Baker was with us yesterday. He is every Tuesday. He was physically here in the studio. And let me just tell you something that you probably don't know about. Some of you may. But uh, in the studio, the way a studio, any studio pretty much is set up, you have a desk or a console and you have a computer and you have your electronic broadcast equipment and uh, you have paraphernalia. I have an iPad on uh, my console. I have an iMac. Uh, I actually have a studio mixer that everything goes into, but there's one little area of the console that is specific and is, is used every day on every show for one thing and one thing only. I'm looking right now at that spot, and on that spot there is a blue fuzzy cloth, and on top of that spot is a four-pound Yorkshire Terrier named Olivia. Olivia is like my, um, my youngest daughter, and she loves to go everywhere that we go, that I go, and she goes pretty much everywhere, and she will not let us do a show without her being right there. And where she is, <laughs> the way she's lying right now, she has no clue, she is dead asleep, but she was looking directly at where Steve Baker was sitting on the opposite side of the console <laughs> here in the studio on his microphone with his headphones on. He was looking right into her eyes. And every time anybody comes in, she acts like she's the boss and she tells them what to do, where to go. <laughs> and I, I got to be honest with you, she uh, she's six years old and she kind of rules the roost around here. And uh, Marianne is jealous of her because, you know, most little dogs, especially Yorkies, they like their mamas. And she loves Marianne. But for some reason, I guess maybe because she's an excellent judge of character, she likes to spend time with me more than mama. I just thought I would throw that in there. If you did not hear the segment with Steve Baker yesterday discussing where he is today and what's going on, it is critical that you get that show. And it it's at the top of the second hour of the show. Actually, we went in a few minutes early uh, because he was live here in the studio. But get it, because it's talking about one of the most egregious outcomes that happens from this flood of illegal activity at our southern border. And it has to do with trafficking of young children. And it is happening. It's organized it's monetized, and it's going on in rampant fashion in Houston, Texas. He is down there with a the group that has weighed in that are experts at child sex and other types of human trafficking that are experts down there, and they're doing a real investigation to get to the bottom of it. But you need to hear about it. You need to get the facts. On another note, you may not have heard about this, but the Biden administration, from top to bottom, they are being popped by a court that is requiring the entire administration to turn over emails that are back and forth between members of the Biden administration 
and these big tech companies regarding a pending, actually it's already filed, but it's a lawsuit filed against the administration alleging rampant, deep involvement with these big tech companies in, uh, in collusion. I don't even know another way to describe it better. Federal judge giving the White House 21 days to turn over emails from officials, including Dr. Tony Fauci and Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre, that were sent to social media companies. It's all part of a lawsuit filed by attorneys general of Missouri and Louisiana accusing the administration of colluding with big technology companies to censor information on Hunter Biden's laptop, COVID-19, free speech on elections, you name it, they censored it. The White House now dodging our questions on the judge's order. Listen. I can't comment on any specifically ongoing uh, litigation. And so, again, I'd refer you, we would refer you to Department of Justice. A couple of things that I would say on just as a general matter on this, uh, as we've said over and over again since the beginning of the administration in our battle against COVID-19, it has been critical for the American people to have access to factual, accurate, science-based information on information. What about if those communications are still happening? Are there frequent contacts between the administration and social media companies? So, so I'll say this, you know, as, as we have said before, there has been ongoing work uh, dating to the Trump administration to provide accurate COVID information where folks get their news. Joining the conversation all morning long, Fox and Friends first co-host Todd Pyro and Bell Point chief strategist, host of the Money Runner podcast, David Nelson. Gentlemen, what a pleasure to spend the morning with you. Todd, you're, react, you're a, a lawyer first a also your reaction to this ruling by this judge that the white house is gonna the administration is gonna have to hand over any relevant communications there's two way to, ways to look at this. One, there's the legal. I think this was a long time coming, and it is so essential because the number one argument you always hear from the left when it comes to social media censorship is that, oh, they're private companies. The First Amendment doesn't apply. They can do whatever they want. And while that is 100% true, that does not attach when the government is involved. The government is taking a step to actively censor. And that's where that section 230 immunity issue comes in. And so I think this was an important first step politically. I think Republicans, if and when they take over the House coming up in November, they need to take this across the finish line, keep their foot on the necks of this, and make sure that these social media companies do what they need to do. If, wanna, if they want to be completely private, go for it. But the moment you start interacting with the government and doing the government's bidding, you lose that Section 230 immunity. And yes, at that point, the First Amendment and free speech does apply. And, and we know, and you make such a terrific point, Todd, about the First Amendment. We also know, and this is separate from the attorneys general uh, suing over this matter from, from Louisiana and uh, Louisiana and Missouri. So it's Eric Schmidt and Jeff Landry. But we also know from David a lawsuit involving Alex Berenson, 
the writer again, um, involving Twitter that the, there's evidence that Biden officials wanted Twitter to ban Alex Berenson. And he's back on the, well, was put back on the platform. But again, that is a violation of the First Amendment if Berenson was kicked off that site at the urging of the White House. Certainly not the only one that was kicked off. Uh, I think a lot of Americans understand what, what's going on. It's been a very, very heavy hand. There was a time probably 12 to 18 months ago, if you even questioned some of the advice coming from, from the medical community, you were banned, canceled, uh, thrown off the platform, and possibly even, even lost your job. And, you know, I can't speak to the legal point, but on the legal front, Section 230, that's going to be very, very important for these companies. A large company like Google, uh, certainly Facebook comes into line. We all saw the interview with, uh, with with Mark Zuckerberg. Are we really surprised? You know, the FBI comes to you and says, uh, "We want you to do something about this." There's credible. Uh, there's a credible threat. Of course, he's going to act. It's not his fault. It's, it's it's certainly government's fault. The two attorneys general refer to this as the. Um, censorship enterprise. And they um, have written, under the First Amendment, the federal government should have no role in policing private speech or picking winners and losers in the marketplace of ideas. And indeed, the question, and Todd, I'm going to end with you on this, the question is how much misinformation was peddled by administration officials by their heavy hand on social media companies? Because we know what they... Starting with Tony Fauci, at the beginning of the pandemic, you don't need to wear a mask. Yeah, I mean, Republicans weren't going to these social media companies and saying, you can't do this or you must do this. Obviously, the messaging was strictly on the left. It was strictly Democratic left messaging. And so you got their sense of the way things are. And implicit in that, Dagan, was some misinformation, if you want to call that. And so to your point, we've gotten this, this sort of skewed view of reality where now you're starting to see doctors coming out and saying, I told you back three years ago that XYZ was the case, you canceled me. I lost my medical license in some aspects, in some circumstances. But, you know, it turns out I was right. And the fact that that happened in the United States of America is chilling. And that's why, Dagan, I think that this ruling or this request by this judge is so, so crucial. This could be a first step to getting to the bottom of what is censorship on the part of the United States government. It can't happen in our country and it needs to stop. And when it comes to Hunter Biden's laptop and the reporting by the New York Post that was censored by Twitter and Facebook, it gets the root of potential election meddling. If it was, 100%. Right? If 100%. It, if it was um, coming out of Democrats. I gotta be honest with you. Follow this story. Follow this closely. If Democrats retain control of either or both of the houses of Congress, the Senate and the House of Representatives, this whole thing will disappear. And if Republicans win even one, if they win the House, they're not going to let it die. Leadership in the House will push to find out if the government is actually tipping the scale of censorship against its own citizens. Most people feel that that's unconscionable, and there's no question that it is. But is it happening? 
You got to you gotta just be honest. Right now, I'm going to be honest with you and tell you, if you ask me that question, do you think it was really going on that there actually will be emails, other types of transmissions between big tech companies and members of the Biden administration? Did it actually go on? I'm going to say, yep, I'm positive it was happening. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg, in that interview, he just mentioned it. And it was like it was no big deal, kind of like an everyday thing. He gets a call from the Biden administration. Oh, okay. Why wouldn't you? I mean, if you're any company and you get a call from the White House asking for you to help them out in some way, what are you going to say? I mean, they have the biggest stick in the game. Nobody has a bigger stick than does any White House especially one that has control of both the House and the Senate and then the White House. I mean, they're consumed with the lust for power. And this is the political pinnacle for having power in the United States of America, to have control, total control of the administrative executive branch, the judiciary system, which is going to be independent in most cases, but in some cases not, And then, of course, the legislative branch of government. You control all that. You control everything. Well, there is some big news coming out this morning about the January 6th Capitol breach. And it's not about those evil Trump MAGA folks. Just three days after the January 6th Capitol breach happened, one of the Capitol Police's top intelligence analysts sent a blistering email to supervisors blowing the whistle on what he said was a failure to heed clear intelligence that warned that right-wing rioters planned to storm the Capitol. Here's what he said. We analysts have been reporting for weeks that patriot groups are commenting on social media their intentions to storm the Capitol with overwhelming numbers. That came from Eric Hoare, H-O-A-R. He wrote that in January 9, 2021 email to his bosses at the Capitol. I don't know what was occurring behind the scenes, but I hope that information was briefed with the veracity it deserved and not just a one-time event assessment. He wrote that he feared political considerations had overtaken security needs in the lead-up to the riot. The notion that valid intelligence is trumped by optics or political decisions is unacceptable. It puts lives in danger, he said. This is a concept I've understood for a long time. I know you are aware of this as well, and I hope its meaning is now obvious to all officials, all commanders, all stakeholders. The mention of optics It appears to be a reference to the language used when House Democrat leadership rejected an offer days before January 6th from the Trump Pentagon to send National Guard troops to assist the Capitol Police. So after facing retaliation following the riot, Hoare left the Capitol Police's intelligence unit and landed at Homeland Security, where he is now assigned to train numerous agencies including, by the way, the Capitol Police, on how to avoid future failures like the one he decried in his memo. 
Hoare worked in the military overseas, and then he was a uniformed officer for the Capitol Police before a serious car accident left him confined to a wheelchair. He then moved to the intelligence unit. His friends and fellow officers told a news agency exactly what his background was. Republicans on the House Administration Committee, led by ranking member Representative Rodney Davis of Illinois, have taken testimony in private from several whistleblowers like Hoare, but did not have a copy of his post-event intelligence failures memo. That was provided to Just the News, John Solomon's company, by a senior Capitol Police source. So as Democrats are wrapping up their January 6th probe, House Republicans are planning to soon release a wealth of evidence they have gathered that shows intelligence and planning failures by the police and the first evidence of House Speaker Pelosi's contacts with the security apparatus leading up to the riots. So far, she's been, she's been out of the picture. Nobody, she hadn't testified. She refused to come before the January 6th committee. She wasn't going to provide any sworn affidavits, and she wasn't going to testify. This will be the first kind of information regarding her involvement in what happened. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy and Representative Jim Banks, who's head of the GOP study committee, they've been working with Davis for months on a counter-investigation to the January 6th committee's filings. In his email entitled, 1-6 Intelligence Failures, Hoare wrote he waited a few days to send that assessment to the department's leadership. Why? He wanted to let subside his anger at watching his colleagues needlessly fight off a riot that could have been prevented or mitigated at, at best. I have been purposely quiet for several days in order to calm myself, but know that I am filled with anger and frustration, he wrote. Watching videos of officers and friends that I served next to when I was in uniform being bullied, watching posts that I've held being overrun still makes me nauseous. He pleaded with both rank-and-file officers and their supervisors to honestly acknowledge the intelligence failures that preceded January 6th so they would never happen again. The purpose of this message, he said, is not to investigate blame, but to hopefully provide insight to help prevent another such disaster. I sincerely hope United States Capitol Police commanders have the fortitude to stand up and loudly convey the need for effective security posture despite any optics or career repercussions. A meek commander is a worthless black hole. So by the way, just so you know, his assessment is directly backed up by hundreds of pages of internal Capitol Police documents obtained by Just the News, showing Hoare and other colleagues in the Intelligence Division receiving detailed warnings from the FBI, from Homeland Security, the U.S. Marshals Service, and D.C. Metro Police that right-wing extremists were plotting to storm the Capitol and even attack lawmakers. Can you believe they didn't do anything with this intelligence? They did nothing. 
The intelligence was processed and forwarded to department components starting, listen, on December 21st of 2020, up through January 5th, 2021, the day before the riots. In fact, some of the intelligence was repeatedly sent in an effort to get leaders' attention over the Christmas holidays. I apologize if this is a double tap with the email one of Horace colleagues, Matthew Herdig, wrote in an email dated December 31st of 2020, where he re-forwarded information from the FBI about right-wing extremist threats on social media to storm the Capitol and hang politicians. Herdig, who was assigned by Capitol Police to an FBI Joint Terrorism Task Force, wrote that he was concerned his first effort to forward the information a week earlier didn't seem to have gone through because nobody responded to him. Hoare assured Herdig he was escalating the concerns anew to the Capitol Police Intelligence Division. Thanks, Matt. I will follow up for IICD, he wrote, using the acronym for the Capitol Police Intelligence Arm. One of the starkest pre-January 6 warnings came in the form of a Homeland Security Department intercept of online posts from a pro-Trump website called the Donald.Win, where detailed threats were made starting a month before the riots. Those threats included talk of penetrating the congressional tunnel system, using maps of the Capitol grounds to plot the best routes of attack, and explicit instructions to storm the chamber where the January 6th certification of election results was going to be held. On December 21st, 2020, Homeland Security Metro Police sent the Capitol Police a six-page compilation of the most extreme threats and planning which had been posted in the 24 hours prior on the site. The extremists talked about why having early maps of the tunnel system would be important. It just means you know where to hang out for maximum impact. That was what one post read. Another came over the top with a chilling instruction that would mirror exactly what happened on January 6th when rioters trapped House and Senate members in the chamber. Forget the tunnels, get into Capitol buildings, stand outside Congress, be in the room next to them. They won't have time to run if they play dumb. This is all uncanny. This is just now being uncovered. The threats sent to Capitol cops repeatedly made specific mention of two groups, the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, that later would be accused by the FBI of fomenting the violence. For instance, one threat posted on the site provided to Capitol Police said the right-wing extremists distrusted the Capitol Police force because of how they defended Antifa from Proud Boys like they were the Swiss Guard protecting the Pope. The December 21st intelligence bulletin that Hoare's division created to summarize the social media chatter about potential violence that day listed specific threats against members of Congress, including Pelosi, Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell. It also cited a suggestion to attack the power grid that provided electricity to the Capitol, a vow to burn down the Supreme Court, and pleased to bring shovels, nerve gas, 
and weapons to the event. Bring guns. Don't let any patriot get arrested at any cost. So despite all of the intelligence coming into the Capitol Police, the department's final instructions to its frontline officers made not a single mention of any of these potential warnings. Not one. Can you believe that? Here's an example. The department's January 5th, 2021 final civil disturbance units plan, that's for crowd and riot control, it contained this inexplicable language about threat assessment. This is a quote. At this time, there are no specific known threats related to the joint session of Congress slash Electoral College vote certification. That was the day before. Can you believe this? This is unbelievable. It was out there. Don't tell me that Mitch McConnell, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi didn't know about any of this. You can't convince me that they didn't get any of this information. It was all over the intelligence department of the Capitol Police. And it wasn't just there, the FBI. Remember, Donald Trump, days before, requested formally through the Pentagon, the Pentagon ran it upstream to get approval for 20,000 National Guard troops to be there in Washington because of all this chatter. And the FBI had it all along when they reached out to the people at the Capitol who have the sole responsibility to lord over anything to do with the Capitol property. That would be the Speaker of the House and the Majority Leader in the Senate. Nothing was done. They turned it down. Metro Police turned it down. Mayor Muriel Bowser of Washington, D.C. turned it down. There's only two reasons. Only two reasons. There's only two possible reasons that would have happened. One is they were too inept to pick up on it. But it's it's impossible for me to believe that everybody in that chain was too inept. So it has to be the only other reason. What do you think that is? They wanted something to happen. They wanted the ability to denigrate then-President Donald Trump and, of course, all of those wicked, evil MAGA people that support the orange man. They wanted all this stuff to happen. And so what is in the fallout? You hear it said again and again and again, and it's a lie. Five people died that day. Five people were shot and died that day. No, five didn't. There was one person shot, and it was a person shot by a Capitol Police officer. Ashley Babbitt was shot and killed. A veteran from San Diego that was there. She was unarmed. She was not threatening anybody in any way. And the video clearly shows this Capitol Police officer pull his gun, shoot her from behind, shot her in the neck, and she bled out on the floor. This officer was never even investigated, never held responsible, even though 
the coroner of Washington, D.C., ruled Ashley Babbitt's death, cause of death, homicide. She was murdered and nothing happened. Don't tell me there was not planned, coordinated resistance purposefully. Don't have any protection, no law enforcement of any kind anywhere around the Capitol. We want this to happen. And if we have a few people get hurt, that's a price we're going to have to accept. And this is going to come out. We're going to find out about it. I promise you we're going to find out about it. And John Solomon, he's like a dog on a brand new bone. He just got this stuff. You can bet there's more to it. And we're going to hear about it later. It's time for a new year, a new you, and a new Volkswagen. Stop by D. Patrick today and check out our entire lineup, like the spacious Atlas with room for everyone, or the not-so-compact compact SUV, the Tiguan, and the always popular Jetta and Passat. At D. Patrick, we have a Volkswagen for every budget and every lifestyle. Check out all the Volkswagen models available at dpat.com. Make this year the best year in a new Volkswagen from D. Patrick on Green River Road. I love going all natural. It just makes me feel better. Nothing between me and my 100% all natural, juicy, grass fed beef. Introducing the all-natural burger, the first ever in fast food, with no antibiotics, no added hormones, and no steroids. Only at Carl's Jr. Car's all yours. Thanks. Cars.com's expert reviews made it easy, but... Shouldn't there be more back and forth? You missed the drama, right? Yeah. Maybe this will do the trick. <laughs> it's a puppy. Not a puppy. A wolf. What now? He's a wolf. And that is its incredibly protective mother. You guys good? Yeah, we're good. Yep. Okay. Get the right car without all the drama. Cars.com. All drive, no drama. I have a couple of stories that I've I've got to get to. I told you I would. One coming out of Ohio. Tim Ryan, current member of the U.S. House of Representatives. He is running for the open U.S. Senate seat in Ohio. Listen to what he said yesterday on MSNBC's Morning Joe. He said that the exhausted majority needed to kill and confront the extremist Republican movement. He said that. Those, that th- that's a quote. The exhausted majority needed to kill and confront the extremist Republican movement. The host of the show, on Morning Joe, I don't know where Joe was, but anyway, Willie Geist said, what is your message to Ohio Republicans in this general election who may look at J.D. Vance and say, I don't like the way he's running the campaign. Maybe I don't like the guy and they're giving you a look. Ryan said, I'm one of the most bipartisan members of Congress. The last two Congresses, 
I've been in the top 10% of most bipartisan. I want to work across the aisle. Look, Democrats aren't right on everything, and I'm willing to sit down and have conversations about how we can move out of this age of stupidity and into an age of reconciliation and reform. How do we fix all of these broken systems? And he continued, some of those answers will come from Republicans, not the extremists that we are dealing with every single day. We got to kill and confront that movement, but working with normal mainstream Republicans, that's going to be really, really important. And he added, I'm saying exhausted majority, Democrats, Republicans, independents against the extremists, leading an era of reform around reconciliation so we can heal this country and move into the future. Again, I don't have a billion-dollar donor to fund me. I need low-dollar people who can go to my website, chip in a couple of bucks, and help us put this extremist movement to bed so we can move on with being Americans again. You know what? That's that's just a blinking light notification to me. When someone like Tim Ryan, like someone like Tim Ryan is out there saying things like this, he knows something that you and I don't know. He's losing that race against J.D. Vance. And if you look at the numbers, it's virtually tied. J.D. Vance is slightly ahead, the Republican in that case. But Tim Ryan has got to weaponize people, in this case Democrats, by calling J.D. Vance, and he didn't use J.D.'s name, but you know that's who he's referencing, extremist. I'm not talking about, you know, the everyday Republicans. I'm talking about the extremist. We've got to kill and confront that movement. And we can work with normal mainstream Republicans. You want me to define what that means when you hear a politician on the left say that? We got to have Republicans that just go along with what we tell them we need to do. Those are the only ones that we can work with. These extremists that we're working with every day, who's he talking about? He's talking about real Republicans today who want to embrace and implement ideology that is conservative, period. And of course, Democrats don't like that. And so they're going to say what what he just said. And it's never going to be good. I told you about some numbers that are coming out of Mexico about captured human smugglers down there. You know, we work Supposedly, we work with the Mexican government, both sides of the border, about this uh, human smuggling, uh, smuggling, trafficking, human trafficking, all those things going on. So we still see record-setting migrant apprehensions, human smugglers of every kind in Mexico. They're operating with impunity, not, not being held liable for their smuggling. Only two out of 174 arrested in one Mexican border state have been convicted and sentenced for their crimes this year. Only two of 174. Mexico's Attorney General's Office has obtained two convictions and sentences 
out of 174 human smugglers arrested in the border state of Nuevo Leon. In both of those cases, those two, the smugglers received sentences of eight years in prison. Additionally, one more case went to trial but was closed for evidentiary shortcomings. In Nuevo Leon, federal authorities are seeing a 40% decrease in the apprehension of migrants in that border state compared to a year ago. During the first half of the year, authorities detained 3,200 migrants. That's compared to 5,300 detained in the same period a year earlier. Reverend Luis Eduardo Zavala, the head of the Casa Monarca shelter in Nuevo Leon, told Reforma that the lack of convictions, it's tied to the professionalism of criminals able to find law enforcement loopholes. The issue is further worsened by the widespread corruption of Mexican authorities. And so there you have it, folks. On our side of the border, we have Alejandro Mayorkas. He's kind of like the drug kingpin, the human smuggling kingpin on the United States side. And then you have these these big criminal operations on the Mexican side. And those leaders there, they're working with the other side. Nothing happens to these guys. Two out of 174. And on our side, now we just let them come in. We never hear about the human smugglers, the human trafficking. We never hear about the drug lords. We never hear about all the fentanyl that's coming in that's killing our kids, killing our people. Wow. We're going to end with that. It's hump day. I want you to have a great Wednesday. We'll see you back here at 9 tomorrow morning. It's undeniable that we should be together. It's unbelievable how I used to say that I'd fall never. The basis is need to know if you don't know just how I feel. Then let me show you now that I'm for real. If all things in time, time will reveal. Yeah. One, you're like a dream come true.
good day.